Welcome to episode 803 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 803. We're getting ready for New Year's partying. We are indeed. Last time, oh, we'll talk about this again. Okay. Uh, what do you normally do for New Year's? Uh, we'll just be going down to the Belinda's Rally's place and probably seeing the New Year down there. And they normally do a little fireworks display. This American lady who comes over every year puts up fireworks. Oh, nice. Probably a bit of, uh, bit of beach cricket and. Trolleyologist? Sorry? Trolleyologist? Trolleyologist. As in you get trolleyed? Oh, no, not really. No, no. A few wines? A few wines. Yep, a few wines. If you had your luxury alcohol, what would it be? Um, Like, you know, like you spend a big money. No, no, no. Nothing really. It's Mm. just decent wine, you know. Nothing crazy. Sometimes you pay lots for wine. It's average. So just a middle-of-the-range price bottle of wine. What's the middle orders cost you? I don't know, nothing. I don't know, 15 to 20 bucks. But I mean, if you go 30, you're... Should get a really good thing. Yep. Anything above that, kind of unne- unnecessary normally. Just paying for the label, aren't you, John? Exactly. Just paying for a label. Mm. Paying for paying for perceptions. Okay, I'm talking. proudly brought to you by our patrons. You go first, John. Now we used. To, I used to think this was how dolphin, but, uh, but it's, it's actually you. Hugh. Yeah, yeah. But we'll go how because that's how it rhymes. How now, brown cow, dolphin? <laughs> that's <insane. laughs> it's actually Hugh. He was the winner of a pair of our. Well, um, Magic the, Five. Magic Five goggles a few weeks ago. Okay, uh, Matthew, the President Reagan. And Skip Slade, also known as Peanuts. This week's show, guys, we've got John Swims here first. <laughs> more yes. open water swimming. Uh, but we've got a really cool interview. So earlier in the year on my podcast, I interviewed a guy by the name of Donald James. Now, Donald James was basically one of the top people at NASA. Mm. So he got in his career, basically, I think he was like three steps back from the president kind of level. Um, passionate man. Mm-hmm. And he's written a book young, designed for young professionals. And the whole idea is just teaching them – because the, the you can get the skills, mm-hmm. but it's the person, and he called, it's called manners, and it's basically the lessons his mother taught him about being a good person. Mm. The book is highly recommend. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed the book myself. It's one of those really affirming books and, and really good, but it's a really great book for like a young twenty-year-old to read. Mm-hmm. So if you've got young people in your life, really check what about it out. A young potty-mouthed fourteen-year-old. Oh right? yeah, would that be suitable well, for them? Yeah, you can smack him around the head, don't you? <laughs> yeah, you know, at <laughs> that stage. So that we're coming up soon. But before we get into the interview, we've got John Swimset. What are you doing now? Today is two and a half K swim, open water. First fifteen hundred meters is alternating two hundred meters steady, two hundred meters moderately hard. So have the old auto lap set on the watch. And so every two hundred meters there'll be a change in pace. Have a little breather after the first fifteen hundred and then do a thousand meters alternating you've got to switch your watch around a little bit, alternating. 100 hard, 100 easy, all the way through. So that gives you 2.5k, more of an endurance swim than a speed swim or anything like that, but making sure there is some pace variation. And we'll be just doing laps up and down Little Kaiteri Beach, which is about about 800 metres a lap. So three laps, probably. Nice. There you go. Good stuff. Okay, uh, here's an interview with Donald James. Now, the book is called uh, Manners, where we'll take you where your brains and money won't wisdom from mama and 35 years at nasa here's donald james i really enjoyed this interview i think you guys will too here he is righto team well i'm very very happy to have a man by the name of donald james on the show he is actually what's really cool about uh, donald's story is he was been a very supportive supporter of this show of the Bevan james Isle show um early on in, in the this kind of the history of the show i got this email from this man called donald and and he said he worked for NASA, and I thought, wow, someone from NASA is listening to the show. Uh, and he's always been very supportive of what I've done. He's been a patron of the show. Um, and what's really exciting is you're going to see pretty quickly today that Donald is a man who has a lived a very wise life and has lots of kind of insight to share with us. Uh, but more importantly, he's recently released a book called Manners, and it's, well, you're about to hear all about it, but it's, it's really about kind of living life in a way that is just really good in a way that will also help you develop your career and your ability to have great relationships with those people around you. Welcome to the show, Donald. Thank you so much, Bevan. I I am so excited to actually talk to you. It's been a long time coming. I've been a fan forever. Thank you. Well, where do we start? So let's let's start with the inspiration to write the book. So yeah, so, so 
I, when I retired from NASA in 2017, I gave a talk to a group of students, student interns at NASA. And at the end of the, uh, my discussion, um, I talked about my career and you know, things that I did. A young man asked me if I could go back in time to when I was 25 years old and, and coach myself and tell me you know, what to do, knowing what I know now, what would I tell my younger self? And I said a couple of things and I said, but you know, what I really would tell myself is you really need to work on your manners because mm -hmm. as my mother says, and it's the title of the book, manners will take you where brains and money won't. See, I thought I just had to be really smart and I just had to work really hard and do all the quote right things. But uh, what I learned was, you know, my manner of showing up in the world and how I engage people was really important. I also told that young man that I would tell Donald, now when you hear about Apple computer and Google, buy a lot of buy. stock. Yeah. Rich. <laughs> if only. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know better back then. That was really, you know, my mom had just died about the month before and I was thinking a lot about my mom and what she meant to me. And, and then I was thinking that, um, you know, when I was reflecting on my 35 year career, how can I continue to give to younger people, particularly starting off in their career and, and tell them some things that I've learned to see if anything resonated? And that really was the genesis of the book. Yeah, you, you know, throughout the book, the, I've read the book and I think, yeah, A, I loved the writing style. I was talking to someone about it today. So another listener of my show who's one of my, who's my physio, and I said, I'm interviewing this guy from NASA. And she goes, oh, it's that guy who wrote Manners. And so she remembered that I talked about your, your book on the show. So yeah. it was quite cool. Um, and I was just saying, the thing I really enjoyed about your book is it's one of these books which there are these kind of themes and lessons that your mother's talked to you about. And in each chapter, is just, you're, kind of, you're working towards giving a deeper detail around each theme. But it's one of those books that even though you are kind of sharing a key message with each chapter, there's just so much good insight in the short stories you're sharing that also just elaborate on some of the themes that you're sharing. So when you sat down, like with all the chapter headings are very much based around these kind of lessons your mother taught you. Now with, with the terms that you use for the chapter headings, were those the, the words your, mother's used, your mother used or is it more just how you well, wrap them up? Yeah, so I, those aren't what my mother used. Those are my words uh, that I inferred from what she believed. And, things that I learned in my NASA experience. The things that were king from my mother, as you know from the first chapter, is the mama's rules, the things that were really important to her, you know, like what other people think of you is none of your business. And I remember her telling us that because I'd come home from school and I'd grumble about some kid who said something about me. And she said, what other people think about you is none of your business, Donald, go on about your business. And that was a good lesson to remember. But I came up with the chapter titles as I started thinking about if I were talking to uh, an early career professional, somebody that was just getting started, as well as students, like mainly college students, what would I focus on? And what, what would I think is important for them to really understand or to consider as they begin their career? And that's where I focused on the chapter titles. And in some cases, I focused on specific skill sets like interviewing. In other cases, it's more broad and generic like presence, authentic presence and what that means. Um, in another case, I felt really strongly about the notion of a team and how it's important. This. And, and you know this, Bevan, I mean, you write about how like you're, you're on somebody's team, whether they're in fitness or running or whatever it is, you, you're a part of their team and, and you would be considered a professional expert. I talk about different categories of team people and you're somebody that, you know, somebody could go to. So I wanted to do that. And then at the end of the book, I, I wanted to draw on actual case studies to kind of make it as concrete as possible to show examples of where I think people fell short and how I might handle it different things like that. So that's where the chapter titles um, came from. Uh, but I, I left an awful lot on the cutting room floor. And I don't know, maybe if I write another one, I'll resurrect some of that stuff. <laughs> well, one thing that's really interesting, um, which comes through very clearly in the book is 
Um, like it was interesting, I've, a young man in my life, he's kind of second year at university, um, a really intelligent young boy. And, it's, and, and I think you've written this book for young professionals going into the yes. world. And I think ultimately what you, the ultimate message is skills are important, but your term kind of manners is, is the most important thing. I believe so. And I believe that it's a range of skills. I really don't like, for example, this uh, duality of technical skills versus soft skills as if one is better than the other. It's just a range of skills. I mean, I suspect, you know, I've listened to you for an awful long time. I know that technically, you know, your business cold, that if I would have no doubt about that. But the thing that attracted me to you when I first listened to you was your warmth and your honesty and your sense of rapport. And I felt like, God, I feel like I'm just talking to this guy. I mean, I would go on walks when I was, you know, in Washington, D.C., and I would listen to your program. And I feel like you were like in my head talking. And how do you how do you teach somebody mm-hmm. the ability to have rapport like that, even rapport where you're you're distant, right? You're doing a podcast and people all over the world listening to you, but I suspect I'm not the only one who feels that way. So it's important to have a range of skills, but I think the thing that I saw in my massive career is that some people weren't working on their rapport skills, their empathy skills, their caring skills. They just thought they had to be smart and right and technical and that's gonna carry the day. And I can assure you, and my brother affirms this, my brother Dennis is uh, my co-author, he's an, an airline captain, that, you know, yes, you have to know how to fly the plane, right? Yeah. Devin, if you're going to be a fitness instructor, you better know your fitness cold. Yeah. But you also have to know how to get along with people. You have to know about human dynamics. You have to understand sensitivities. And I've seen people fail at this. I've seen very smart people who, you know, lost their jobs or who didn't get promotions um, because they didn't really understand this. And that's really what I really wanted to address at a, at a very, um, a very deep level. You know, your mother's such an influence on this book and obviously on your life. Um, why do you think she had such an impact in instilling those values in you? Because, you know, like a lot of, a lot of parents want their kids to behave well and they want to install these kind of virtues and these kind of character traits upon their children. Uh, but a lot of kids end up rejecting it or, you know, that, that stuff doesn't stick. Yeah. Um, but something about what your, your mother's kind of nurturing of you obviously made you understand these lessons. Yes. So my mother was a school teacher and, I saw through observing her and things she said, how she interacted with her students. I remember very clearly, for example, that um, in her time when she taught school, we had a lot of immigrants from Southeast Asia. This was after the Vietnam War and a lot of people were coming to the United States. And I remember her talking about how many of the students, when they came to school, they had changed their names to give them American sounding names because they felt that their peers wouldn't be able to pronounce their names correctly or their teachers wouldn't pronounce it. And my mother insisted on calling them by their birth name. She would say, I wanna know what your mother and your father called you when you were born. And she would practice that. She would make sure she get it right. She felt this was a sign of respect. So my brother and I grew up knowing that one of the most important things for people to understand is how to pronounce someone's name correctly as a way of honoring their own history and their, and, their, and their heritage, if you will. I also knew that my mother, who was reared in the southern part of the United States, and I, I know some of your listeners may not know, but in the southern part of the United States, which is different from other parts of the United States in many ways, and, and traditional manners and etiquette were a big thing back then. Um, but she came from that tradition. Uh, my mother never raised her voice, ever. E- even in school, and I don't care how many times a kid would have pushed her button, she usually lowered her voice if she wanted to get their attention. So she knew that it was important to be mindful of how you spoke and things. And then in many ways, just her actions with us, you know, the kind of people that she made sure that we were around and, you know, and it was done in subtle ways. I'm not even sure it was overt, but, you know, I found myself growing up in an environment where we had professional people in our family circle 
and we did the kinds of things that exposed us to, um, you know, good people that had, mm. you know, good values and things like that. So I really appreciated that about her. And in some ways, you know, that's sort of a hint in the book to parents. If you really want to help your child develop good manners, as I would say it, the first thing I would tell you is to work on your own manners because they're watching you all the time. They're paying attention to how you do what you do. Yeah, it's, it's really true. It's, it's actually interesting. I was doing a talk for um, school teachers the other day, primary school teachers in, in my local area. And we were talking about the cost of stress, you know, on people's lives. And, and I just kind of, I do this thing of what's the cost and what's the cost, you know, so what's the cost of overeating or you, you, you know, you put on a little bit of weight. What's the cost five years from now? Well, it starts to affect your health. And I kind of put that to them. And then one teacher put a hand up and she said, oh, the cost is I'm being bad role model, bad role model as a parent. Because when I deal with stress, I've become an ugly version of myself. And, you know, that's a really good example of it. Is she, she role modeled how to, to behave in a way that's really healthy in life, didn't she? Yes, she absolutely did. And, and we, we were lucky in that sense. Um, my mother was also a stickler for... NASA headquarters in my last job. I had this big job and I'm this important guy and I'm hosting this meeting with all my staff from around the country and I'm sitting at the table. There's like 70 of us in the room and I had my mobile phone on the table next to me and I had it on silent, but I all of a sudden I looked down and my mom was calling me and my mom like, never calls me during, <laughs> during the day. And I'm like, oh no. So I stopped the person who was briefing us and I said, I'm really sorry, but my mom's calling and, you know, she's like 80 years old and she never calls. So just, just hang on a second. I'm going to go take this and I'll be right back. Just keep talking. So I excuse myself and I go to the corner of the room and I'm whispering into my mobile saying, mom, are you all right? How are you doing? <laughs> she proceeded to say, Donald. I just received your very nice letter, but I want you to know that in the second paragraph, oh, you yeah. spin an infinitive, and you know you're not supposed to spin an infinitive. And I said, oh, Mom, okay, I really appreciate that, but uh, I'm in a meeting right now. Thank you. You know, I'll get back. Okay, honey, have a nice day. So I go back to the meeting, and I nod to the briefer to keep talking, and he just stood there, and everybody is staring at me. And they didn't want to see anything. And finally, someone said, well, is your mom all right? What did she say? <laughs> so I had one of those moments, Bevan, where I had to say, okay, do I tell them the truth? So I told them the truth about what my mom said. And the whole room was stone silent for really? about 10 seconds. And then they fell out laughing. Oh, out I lost complete control of the meeting. <laughs> And, and ever since that day, they always ask me, says, has your mom called you today? <laughs> so that's the kind of person that she was. Uh, she made sure that if I didn't, if I split an infinitive, she was going to tell me about it. So she's a good lady. You know, you know when, you, when you become an adult, you have those moments when you realize your parents' influence in, in a positive light. Do you remember the kind of first few moments when you realize, oh, that's mom coming through? Oh, yes. Uh, first of all, my brother, Dennis, is exactly like my mom. He's, he's an eagle eye. He can spot issues a mile away. Yeah. He was an early, you know, reader of the book and, you know, he was critical, but I find myself doing it. And the way I know that is that my son's 28, my daughter's 25, and sometimes I'll be talking to my son and my son will stop me and said, uh, are you parenting me right now, dad? Oh, really? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry, son. <laughs> I can't help it. But, you know, we, what I appreciate about both my children is that they have both embodied, I believe, this work in their own way. And I've seen them become successful. Both my children are very successful, and I'm very proud of them. Uh, when they are gifted, they handwrite thank you notes. Even my son does, and I could hardly understand his writing. He's like a doctor. It's horrible. But he will sit down and he'll handwrite a thank you note every time he is gifted, same with my daughter and their heartfelt. Um, they, when they visit somebody, they will bring a gift, even if it's a small gift. And because they know that that's meaningful to people. And I believe that they saw that, you know, um, 
through osmosis by watching me and my brother and my wife to a certain degree. So how you parent your child is very, very important. You know, I mean, you probably see this in the fitness business. I mean, I was thinking about the relationship between this and fitness. I mean, if you're a parent and you don't take care of your body, you know, how do you expect your kids to do that? I mean, they're paying attention to what you do. So if you want your kids to be healthy, the best thing to do is to be healthy. Yeah, so let's, let's break down. Let's let's break down some of you know. Just give a bit of an overview on each of the manners. Maybe talk us through the ones. Give me some of the manners, and let's let's break them down. Which ones? Which one? Which one was the one that come easiest for you to write about? Um, well, unfortunately, it was. Uh, I think it's chapter nine called "Injustice in Manners" because that was a very painful episode in my NASA career, and um, I won't share too many details. Uh, the listeners can look at the book, but it, it was a time when, you know, something was written about me that was not accurate and I felt it was unfair and I'm a public figure. And so, you know, and I had a job where my boss worked for the president of the United States, right? Yeah. President Obama. And, um, you know, any, in, in, you know, uh, inference that you, were somehow a bad kid you you know that could shame the family if you will and so i had in, to in, in a life a lifetime reputation you yes. know like, you know for someone like yourself who does hold your standards very high and, and personal integrity is such an important part of your kind of self-identity when you have very a moment much. like that happen it's pretty hard that's right i mean it's um I mean, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, Bevan, where somebody, you know, blogged or said something that was pejorative or negative, and then you've got, you know, thousands of people that believe in you and come to your classes or do whatever they do and read your work, and all of a sudden they're thinking, well, I wonder if this guy's the real deal. So it's very, yeah, yeah. very painful. So I had to draw on all of the skills that I learned that I write about in manners to, to overcome that. And to realize that um, the most important thing I got from that experience is that my manners preceded that incident. In other words, people who knew me and knew me well realized that what they read about me didn't quite jive with their experience of me, right? The video didn't match the audio, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So that was very helpful. And... Um, but you also have to learn how you're going to address this. You know, sometimes you have to, you know, be responsive and then just move on. And I was fortunate that I worked for an administrator at NASA who was a very kind and understanding person. And he knew me well. And, um, you know, so it didn't really impact my career at all, but it could have. So that was difficult. Um, but I felt it was important to share that because particularly as you, uh, grow in your career. Remember, I'm thinking about early career professionals and then growing into their career. I wanted to warn them that sometimes you're going to have a curveball thrown at you. Sometimes you're going to have an accusation or an insinuation or something written that's just negative, and you're going to have to address that. And I wanted people to be prepared. But, you know, you, you've reached such a high level in your career, you know, like uh, the organization is, you know, worldwide known organization. Uh, to get to the level you got to, talk us about that, that, that for you, because uh, it was your experience, that experience where if you could have met the younger version of you and shown you where you got in your career, they would never would have thought that was possible. Absolutely, Ab absolutely. I, I. It's hard to imagine back when I just started working for NASA because. When I started working for NASA, I wasn't even sure I wanted to stay there forever. Um, I started in 1982. And what really changed for me was the Challenger accident, which happened in 1986. And I got asked to be involved in some of the uh, post-accident activities with the- What was it like? Because that must've been hor horrific for uh, the organization. It was it was a game changer for NASA. We have, we've had accidents before. We had the Apollo yeah. 1 fire and we've had astronauts killed, but nothing so public and visible. Yeah. Everybody is watching. It's the first teacher in space yeah. going up. It was for the whole world to see and the shuttle blows up in front of everybody. I remember I was in Los Angeles at the time driving on the freeway and I literally pulled off the freeway in total disbelief. And well, even I, I actually remember it because I was a school kid. 
Like, really? Yeah, I remember. You know, I must have been pretty young, but I remember we must have stopped and watched it at school or something. Like I, you know, it was a big thing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. horrific for the organization. Yeah, it was it was devastating and devastating internal and in many ways. Um, but the I had the privilege at the time I was working in our our public affairs organization. I was asked to work with the, the teacher who died on Challenger, Crystal McAuliffe. All astronauts have backup astronauts in case somebody gets sick and they have to be replaced. Well, the backup astronaut to Crystal McAuliffe was a woman named Barbara Morgan uh, out of Idaho. And Barbara, um, they had decided to send her around the country to talk to teachers and students. It was kind of like therapy after the accident because students were watching it. Students were in their classroom watching the shuttle blow up. So I was assigned to go with Barbara to work with her on that. And that was a game-changing experience for me when I decided that I really wanted to make a career out of NASA. And I remember this specific incident that actually happened. We were, she, Barbara was giving a speech in Los Angeles. And my job is to be the bad guy and tell her it's time to go to our next event. Sometimes I introduced her and things like that. And I'm standing off to the side of the dais and this little kid about 11 years old, maybe nine, comes up to me with his notebook and he's holding his notebook up to me. And I am intuitively thinking that he wants me to get an autograph from the astronaut to him. And I said, They'll go ahead and wait in line. I'll make sure that she signed your notebook. And he looked at me and says, no, 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 I want your autograph. And I said, you want my autograph? Why do you want my autograph? I'm not the astronaut. And he goes, yeah, but you work for NASA and that's just so cool. And he <laughs> said that with this intensity. And I was like, really? And I thought, boy, if I can have an impact on kids just by virtue of where I work, I said, I'm in. And I literally made a decision that day that I was gonna make a career out of NASA until I ultimately got to as high as I possibly could in the government without being a political appointee. And that was as associate administrator for education. And so I'm really proud of, of that career and that time, but that's what made the difference for me was that little kid who felt that because of who I represented and what I represented, he, he wanted a piece of me in my signature, if you will. So um, that was a great experience. In, in your book, you talk about there was a time where you looked at leaving NASA and, you know, there was a kind of a, maybe there was a misalignment or maybe you realized the value of that again. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I um, was I was at a time when I was uh, working in one of our organizations and I felt that um, my career forward, uh, there was no place to go. I had a boss who um, really didn't... Um, see a path forward for me. And, you know, I was a little disappointed in that. And at the same time, I had a friend who worked at uh, Lockheed Martin. Lockheed had a presence uh, right near NASA Ames Research Center in Northern California, which is where I work. And she had been asking me to come work for her. And so um, I got to a point where, you know, I felt like my career wasn't going anywhere. And so I, I, accepted this position at Lockheed and I was really happy because I really like this person and I'm still really good friends with her um, and sort of sort of the old adage like don't let the door hit you on the way out I remember telling my NASA boss that you know I was leaving and and he shook my hand and congratulated me then he promptly got his coat and ran out he said I have to go I have to hurry up and try to find a replacement before they won't oh, let really? me do it well, and I'll see you later. Like, see you later. You know, don't let the door hit you in the bum before you run out, kind of guy. And then, uh, as it turned out, uh, my boss's boss had different ideas, and he persuaded me to rethink my plans. And uh, and they, uh, he said, "I want you to go think about what it would take to get you to change your mind." And at that point, Bevan, I didn't really care. I had already accepted this job at Lockheed. They had a nice offer. And so I said, what the hell, it doesn't really matter. I gave him a list of wants and whatever, and I took it to him. And then he said, I'll be right back. And he went to the head of the center where I worked and came back later. And they said, well, they agreed to everything you want. And I was absolutely stunned by that. I couldn't believe that they would agree to that. I mean, how can the government, I mean, the United States has a pretty impressive government, but it does have a way of gumming up just about anything. But the fact of the matter is, um, I, 
I agreed to stay and they kept their word on everything that I asked for. And that explains why my loyalty to NASA is so fierce because they didn't have to do that. They could have shined me on. They could have said, well, good luck, good luck, and all of that. Um, you know, I didn't really want to leave NASA. I mean, at that point, I loved NASA and Lockheed was a big defense contractor. And, you know, I didn't particularly resonate with the mission, but I really loved the woman I was going to work for. She's a fabulous person. And I just, I really thought the world of her. But NASA was where I really wanted to work, but I felt like I'd hit a, a glass ceiling, if you will. And my boss's boss was the one who broke through the ceiling. And NASA kept every every word, they went, everything that I asked for, they agreed to. Um, I took a few things off the table because they were superfluous. And so that's really why my loyalty to NASA was just so powerful. And it remains so to this day. I'm a huge, huge advocate. Which is really interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, your book's about this whole idea of manners and treating people well. And you yeah. talked earlier about how your mother, one thing your mother taught you kind of subconsciously was this respecting people yes. um and you know you're you're obviously NASA is a pretty cool organization to be involved with but the way they treated you deepened that respect that you have for them as an organization and let's be honest most bureaucracy you know that there's not much of that kind of respect back towards bureaucracy is there? absolutely not not at all and i I can't really do justice to explaining what that felt like because they didn't have to do that they could have mm. said you know, have a nice career, you know, we've really enjoyed it. Um, and to, to make matters more interesting is the guy who brokered the deal with the leadership to get me to stay, two months later, he leaves. Oh, and so yeah. I had nothing, there was nothing, remember, there's nothing in writing, there's yeah. no contract, there's no deal, and he leaves, and I'm like, oh, I'm like so screwed now, I'm not going to get anything. But they kept their work, and, um, and you know, I am... Do you know what's really interesting about that? And a lot of business owners and leaders should, should really hear the message here because it's such an important message. Because a lot of businesses, they have the mission statement. You know, they have, these are our values. And, and, and I remember when I was a young man, I worked, I did like a joinery job when I first left school. And um, my, my boss above me and, and where I worked would have this quality is our most important value, whatever it was. And then he'd come up to me and he'd say, oh, rough enough. It's rough enough. You know, and so you, you, there's a real disconnect between the message and the action. Yeah. And you find a lot of people who work for in businesses or organizations, they get lost because ultimately the organization doesn't fight for the right thing. That's right. And, and, and so one thing that, you, you know, that ingrained that respect that you had and that passion that you still have to this day about this organization that, that you know, technically you're no longer a part of, although I'm sure you're always a part of it, um, is because... They they did fight for the thing that was important, and yes. they and they remain they maintained that sense of that sense of integrity as an organization. So you never felt you were losing yourself by staying in the organization. Yes, right. I mean, yeah. it's um, it's powerful. That is. In, in fact, Matt, the second NASA has four core core values. The second one, the first one is safety. The second uh, one is integrity. Uh, and so, they, to me. It really, um, uh, that experience really hit home for me. And um, I, I became fiercely loyal to that. And after I decided to stay with the agency, my only goal was to do as much as I can to, um, to use it to inspire people because I saw how it inspired that young kid that wanted yeah. my autograph and instead of you know the astronauts. And I see it all around the world. I mean, I don't have to do a lot of explaining when I say I work for the space agency. People kind of have this sense about it, even yeah. with all of our faults and things like that. So I, I remain very proud of the organization. I still give talks about it and presentations. And, um, and so I think having that kind of integrity um, and keeping your word, you know, is really important. And um, I think that applies, you know, through different ways. I mean, you know, that's, you know, your program is fitness behavior. It's about behaviors, right? It's about, you, you, you said that on your website that you discovered, you know, after you accomplished everything you wanted to accomplish, you realized that, you know, what was important was, you know, how to impact behavior, because that's where, where change really happens. And I, I really do believe that. And you have to kind of uh, uh, personify that as much as possible. So I think that's why I always, 
like your work and listen to what you do. And, you know, I, I feel like we've been friends forever, Bevan, and I, I can't wait to come over there and visit you. <laughs> You're always welcome. You're always welcome. One thing I, I think just to go back to what we we're talking about, because I think there's another thing, because you also then become, and I know you have this personal integrity, which is important, which your mother installed in you. You had yeah. an experience which reinforced it with the organization you're with, which means you fight hard to show that integrity with the people you lead, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, I, I'll be the first to admit I fall short a lot. Oh, no one's perfect. I, I, yeah. I don't always, you know, my video doesn't always match my audio, yeah. as we like to say. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's true, you know, it's, um, it, it becomes an important part of the culture, if you will. And I think it's worth cultivating. And I'm in this book, you know, manners will take you where brains and money won't. I'm arguing for a culture of looking at manners, broadly speaking, not just, mm. you know, the please and thank you and the politeness things, but things that are, are very uh, deep in our culture and our society. In fact, uh, you know, I'll take this moment to say one of the things that I'm struck by is that so far, because I've talked to audiences in different parts of the world about these themes, I'm really interested in whether or not, when I wrote this, I wrote it, you know, from a NASA United States, you know, centric kind of view, viewpoint. But I'm really curious whether it resonates in other cultures, you know, and so I'm, I, I hope your listeners will reach out to me and let me know what they think, because I think there's a common sense of humanity that we really mm. hunger for and yearn for. And given what the United States has just gone through in the last four years, I can tell you a lot of people are hungry for that. And I'm just trying to do my part, my small part, to try to address that the best I can. Well, it is universal. It's kind of like a smile is universal, isn't it? You know, like it's, you know, the character traits and the, the lessons you're teaching in this book are just being a good human being, isn't it? It you know, is, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, like if, if you're a good human being, it's got to be good for your, your world and, and for yourself. Yeah. And how do you actually cultivate that and work yeah. on that? I talk a lot about authenticity, meaning things that are really true for you in your heart and how that actually comes through um, instead of, you know, trying to put on a certain act in order to impress somebody. Yeah that sense of genuineness and I found that at NASA and this is what this is what I'm trying to explain to the readers and the listeners is that even at a place like NASA which has some of the smartest people in the world and that is true and, I, I'm, have, and I'm sure there's a lot of ego there's a lot of ego yeah, and there's a lot of egos that um, unfortunately get in the way of progress in things that happen um I, I can tell you our people who work in our human resources will tell you stories and stories of very smart people having to wrestle with ego issues and having to wrestle with issues that have nothing to do with spacecraft and things like that. You know, there's, there's astronauts who sometimes don't get along with other astronauts. And I know, I know a lot of astronauts and I hear all this. So this is important work to do on how do you cultivate empathy and how do you cultivate genuineness and it's a skill and it's hard to it's really hard to teach but if you get it then you really have a great team and I think that's what's important particularly if you have an organization that requires teams to do things years ago I read this book it was a really good book it was um by Jack I think it was by Al Reed they were quite famous marketing people but they did a book about success and it was quite funny because mm -hmm. it was basically horse odds and they, they were saying and they, at the beginning of the book they say uh, what they say? They say this book. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a bit of a joke. This book, um, but if successful is how much money you earn, here's if we're going to put horse odds. So if you want to make lots of money, the, the easiest way to be successful is to be born into money. It's the easiest way. The second easiest way is to marry money. You know what I mean? And so there was kind of this thing, but they said one of the hardest ways to be successful, and this, and, and probably not just money, but is to be in a big organization. Yeah. And in a big organization, because so many people are, are, are varying for so little opportunity, um, you, you got to pretty much the highest level of a massive organization, which is full of like the entry level is pretty ambitious. Yeah. Why were you so successful? My belief is that my manners coupled with sufficient intellectual and skill capability made the difference. I believe that. Um, I was not a straight A student. I mm. want your listeners to know that. 
I did not get perfect SAT scores. I don't know what they do in New yeah, Zealand, yeah. They do school, but yeah, I wasn't the top of that. I didn't go to Ivy League schools. I went to good schools. Mm. Um, I had a great education. Um, both my parents were educated, so we were always in that environment. But I was pretty much a B student, and I love to do things that you know B students do, more or less. I wasn't always a bookworm. I believe my success was that I knew what I knew and I knew what I didn't know. I knew how to be genuine with people, how to cultivate relationships in an authentic and meaningful way. I knew how to have respect and deference to people who had been around for a while. Um, and I knew how, I knew where my, where my shortcomings were and my faults are. Um, and I learned a lot of that from my father. I know, for example, that I have a tendency to talk a lot and speak out of turn. So I had to learn to manage that. Um, I never pretended that I knew more than I didn't. If I didn't know something, I'd be the first to say. Mm -hmm. I learned how to ask for help. That's one of the most important skills you can develop is asking for help, right? You know, people reach out to you and say, you know, I'm a mess physically. I don't know what to do. And then you try to help them and then they don't listen. It says, well, if you want me to help you, you got to listen. So I had to, you have to learn how to listen in a very, very deep way and to kind of put your ego aside. So... I, I think my history and my colleagues will say, and I say this in the book, you know, to what degree, you know, I was successful at what I did, but I, I don't think I messed up too badly. Um, and uh, you, well, you I, don't uh, get to that level if you if you did, if you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, yeah, you know, you achieved, you achieved a pretty high success. Um, I, I mentioned one other thing, and you talk about this in this book, in your book, Um, I mentioned one other thing is when you were asked to grow, you had the ability to grow. Yeah. Uh, I did a lot of training and a lot of development work. Um, it was very important to me to continually learn, uh, not only learn on the job, but learning classes, uh, either NASA classes or things outside of classes. Some of it was, was very profound. Like I learned how to uh, do fire walking. I never in my wildest dreams thought I would ever do fire walking. I thought that's just the most ridiculous thing in the world, kind of this mind over matter thing. But it turns out that um, I learned how to do it and I actually did it and I didn't burn up. And it, it recalibrated my thinking about what was really possible. Um, and I thought about when I walked on fire years later, when I did uh, a detail at our NASA Johnson Space Center in Houston, you know, where mission control is. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but they said, well, what we really want you to do is we want you to write the project plan for our new Orion spacecraft. If anybody follows NASA, you know, we're building the Orion spacecraft. And I looked at the guy and I said, you know, I haven't studied engineering since I was a freshman in college. And, you know, we use slide rules back then. And, you know, yeah. Really? You, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not your guy. I'm not your guy. <laughs> I'm not sure this is what I should be doing. And they said, oh, no, no, no. You don't have to know all the technical stuff. You just have to know all the people who know the technical stuff yeah. and make sure they don't BS you and put a plan together. And we have, we have, NASA has these giant rule sets that govern everything that we do. Um, they're all written up. You can find them online. And, and they're engineering plans and safety plans. You just have to put it all together. So I said, okay, <laughs> and off I went and I was surprised. And so I actually wrote the first project plan for our uh -huh. Orion spacecraft. Uh -huh. Now I didn't get a degree in engineering. I studied engineering for a while, but I changed majors and that's a whole different story. But I wrote the first plan uh, to, for the Orion spacecraft. I'm sure it changed a zillion times before they actually built the thing. But the point was, what I learned by walking on fire is what I thought was impossible may not be impossible. And that was sort of the attitude I took when they said, and we want you to write the project plan for the Orion spacecraft. Yeah. I remember thinking, I never told them that I didn't think I was a guy for it. I looked like, oh, I'm not so sure about this. But I remembered the fire walking experience and said, well, they must see something in me and trust me to do this. And so I did. And I asked for a lot of help and uh, I wrote that plan. 
And what I love in that is that kind of and that trust that I can grow to a challenge. Because obviously yeah. you were in the deep end. It wasn't, you know, um, but you trusted yourself. You understood, as you said, know what you know well and know what you don't know. Um, and you trusted the ability to actually be the person who could deliver on this. You know, even right. though there was, it was kind of dark waters in front of you as you walked towards it. Um, you, you, you know, because that's such a big character trait to have. Yeah, it's it's really critical to be able to um, you know suspend your ego and ask mm. reach out for help and you know if you want to be able to accomplish something and um, I, I reference in the book uh, you know, calling it playing against the better tennis players. I, I tell the story about when I was I was a tennis player growing up and at one point I thought I wasn't improving and doing any well and my tennis instructor was asking me who I was playing against I told him he said well that's the problem I go what you're playing people who are worse than you you're always winning I says yes but I like to win he says well you're never going to you're never going <laughs> to yeah. get better if you play yeah. people who are not as good as you are you yeah. have to play people who are way better than you are and get your butt whooped all the time and then you'll be a better tennis player so I I use that as a metaphor to say that if if you really want to step up your game, you have to surround yourself with people who are above you. And you have to, you know, suspend your ego a bit and ask for help and, and struggle. And, and, and then, you know, I, you'll, I think you'll do better. As a leader, what do you feel are the keys to bringing the best out of people? What, what I want to get out of people? No, no. What, what do you think? What do you think a leader needs to understand to bring the best out of people? Um. I feel that they need to understand empathy, that they need to understand that people have their own stories and their own history. Um, and you also, as a leader, need to see the possibility in somebody that they can't see. Nice. Uh, and I've had people work for me that I had a vision for them being in positions that they never thought was possible and yeah. they were able to achieve that. You have to be able to see over the horizon. It's like, what's that airplane called? The Air Force, the AWACS, advanced warning, you know, looks over the horizon yeah. and sees things. And, you know, it's, it's like, um, you know, Bevan, it's like if you were to say, Donald, I think you would make a great, you know, aerobics instructor. And I'm looking at you like, you are out of your mind. You know, like, <laughs> Do you have any idea you're talking to? So you, so you can see something that yeah. I can't see, and then you kind of bring the best out uh, by, by helping them out. And I'm very grateful that I've had a few people uh, who have worked for me and been in my circles that have achieved great things, and I, I felt that they could. Sometimes you get it wrong, and, um, and I've been wrong with some people. But a lot of times uh, you can see things. You just have to get themselves out of their own way sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I love that definition of that kind of seeing the possibility. And 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 hopefully, uh, you know, like I think of my own journey and there's key people who saw possibility in me. Yeah. I wouldn't be the person I am today if they didn't see that. And, you know, that, at that moment, I could never have seen that I could become the person I became. But they, they saw that and they guided me. Um, and it's such an important character trait for a leader, isn't it? And, and you were willing to accept that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know, I know your listeners, Bevan, know your story and your history. And, and, you know, it's like the first question people ought to ask when they hear, read about your history is like, how in the world did you turn out and become so successful? I mean, by all accounts, you know, you were in the gutter. And then mm -hmm. somehow through the grace of whatever, you mm -hmm. extricated yourself from that. And it made you, you know, this impressive person. And, that, you know, I think that's what originally attracted me about your work earlier on was, you know, that story. It's like, how is it that some people can crater like that and transform their lives and others can't do that? See, I'm very fascinated by the transformation process. It's like, what is that? Because it's such a joy to be around. It's just, it's so wonderful to see that in people. And that alone is great. So like, I know that there is no person that can come to you, Bevan, and say, oh, man, I can't do this workout. I can't do this thing. You know, I'm no good. You know, I drank a lot. You're going to look at him and say, dude, you even know my story. I don't want to hear it. I, if I can do it, you can do it. You just need to get out of your way and do it kind of thing. So that's what I believe. Just get out of your own way. <laughs> the, thing, the thing I find interesting, because I'm, I'm very lucky because my journey has given me a sense of trust in myself. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing I find interesting, because I know people who are just so impressive in so many ways, but they don't see it themselves. Yeah. And I always think it's a sad thing. You know, like I know people who are, 
you know, got to make degrees on degrees and, and you, everything about their life is I'm so impressive and I'm so impressed by those people and the only person who doesn't see it is them. And I was, I'm always a bit saddened by that because I don't think there's anything wrong to, to be, to own the space that you are and to be yeah. happy with that. And it's, um yeah, and it's, it's just, yeah, it's just a bit of a sad thing, I suppose. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's a very good point, but um, no, it's wonderful, you know, to think about, you know, who you surround yourself with and mm. how do you uh, use that in order to inspire you. And I think that, you know, even, you know, how you framed the work you did really inspired me in many ways, the work that I did. You know, many of your listeners might be thinking, you know, well, what does some NASA guy who wrote a book on manners have to do with fitness and all of that stuff? And, and so what I would submit to people is that, um, they have to remember that the most important part of their body is from the shoulders up. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, not right. it's from the shoulders down. I mean, that's the vehicle that does things that can either do you in or do you good. But if you don't have on top of your shoulders right, then I submit that everything else is not really going to fall into place. And, and that's what really attracted to me about your work and you know i've been a, a fan of yours for, for going back to i think episode 18 i think i was looking at that you know and i realized that you know this guy is speaking my language because it's about how you relate to things in your head work and and even your manner of being with your body and things like that you know it's not about you know okay let's crank out 25 reps or whatever it is i mean at some point you got to do that kind of work too. But if you don't have your head right, your body is certainly not going to follow. And that's what I, that's what I got from, you know, from, from your message. And, um, oh, and I do want to, I do want to completely admit to your listeners. I, I think they have to hear this. So I've been, you know, this is the week that I'm releasing my book and I've been very involved in this. And so, and here comes my excuse. I haven't done a really good job about working out, but I knew that I was going to talk to you today. And I told my wife, I've got to work out today. If I don't work out today. Bevan's going to find out and get mad and I have to do it. So see, you're not even here. And, you know, I got into our little home gym because, you know, we can't go outside. Yeah. I have a home gym and I did my workout. And I thought, great. I said, oh, that's wonderful. Now I can talk to Bevan. <laughs> you make me see, laugh. Your influence uh, reached all the way across. In fact, your influence reached to yesterday because that's it's tomorrow in New yeah. Zealand. In the future the future's looking bright <laughs> hey so so just unfortunately i have to leave because i could talk to you for hours but um so the book is manners where can people get it um you know or, or just give, give the plug yeah uh the complete title is manners will take you where brains and money won't mm. manners will take you where brains and money won't um wisdom from mama which is my mama and 35 years of NASA. So I combine the things I learned from my mother and in the book, the readers will see I have mama's rules plus the, my 35 years of experience with NASA. And um, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it in Barnes and Nobles. I don't know wherever the listeners are. If they yeah. just Google that, they can find it. And um, I'm really proud of the work. I, I, I feel that it's my best contribution to people, particularly students and early career professionals yeah. who are trying to understand, you know, well, what does it really take? You know, like the kids said, what would you tell your 25 year old self knowing what you know now? And I said, I tell the young Donald, you need to work on your manners. And there's a lot to that. There's a lot more to that. And I contend that people who are fulfilled in their career and feel like they have meaning in their career really do get that right. And it's, um, it's not just the please and thank you stuff either. It's, it's a lot more involved in that. And I hope if I'm successful that um, I've done that with the book. Well, I, I really enjoyed the book. A, I think you've got a great writing style. I was really impressed with your writing style. And as I was saying at the end in the introduction, it's one of those books where there is a theme for each chapter and it's kind of a message, but just there's just so much insight in there. And, and I found for myself... Um, there was there was moments of reinforcement where like you know you're doing well with the styles and then there was moments yeah. where like mm, I had to do some self reflection and and definitely if you've got young adults and and I think one thing that's really what interesting is I don't know but it's the same in America but a lot of young men are struggling in, in today's world 
Um, and, and I know this isn't just a young men book, um, but I just, because I'm a man and I think my people know my story, I know in my local community, a lot of parents will come up to me and say, can you have a, can you have a chat to my young man? And I'm speaking guys from like, you know, 16 through to 24 kind of young men. And, and I just, when I'm reading this book, I was just thinking, this is a book that all young men need to read because it is, you know, part of getting out of that lost place is finding how to live in a really healthy way. And uh, so I highly recommend the book to anyone who wants to check it out. I'll put links to it in the show notes. Um, Thank you, Donald. I'm really proud of the work you've done because I just think it's, you know, hopefully you can get as much reach as possible and spread such a good word. So thank you for being on the show. Um, I'd love to finally meet you in person and uh, we'll have to get over to New Zealand at some stage. I will be there. It's second on our bucket list, man. We're coming. As soon as we can get out of COVID, we're coming. We'll we'll see you here. (laughs) Thanks for your time today, mate. Thank you. So if you want to get the book, you go to donaldgregoryjames.com. I have got a link to it in the show notes. Obviously, it's on Amazon and all the other places you're going to get it. But um, yeah, really, really good. I remember when you bought the book out, like basically one of the top, like second in charge of the defense force said people need to read this book. Like, so it's a really, really good book. So I highly recommend it. And again, especially for young people, young professionals going into their career, it's a really kind of just reinforces some really cool stuff. He's also a really good writer. I really enjoyed his writing style. So you can check that out. Jombo, let's say thank you to the patrons. Jeremy, the Canadian Hopwood. Robert, give me more. And Anthony, the Squid Express. Uh, Camerily. Camera Liberty. We'll go with that. What's your best ever New Year's? Best ever New the Year's. Best ever, because New Year's often underdelivers. You know what I mean? Because you go with big expectations. Like year 2000, what was your year 2000 like? Mm, I was, I can't even remember, even to be honest. I think I might have been still in Hong Kong. Yeah, I was. Was, was that a good New Year's? Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, you can't beat the fireworks in Hong Kong. Oh, I can imagine. It was, it, was, it was reasonably tame, but yeah, fireworks, I remember them being pretty spectacular. I'm sure that was 2000. And the world years. didn't uh, the world didn't explode with Y two K. That right, was that was right, quite yeah. good. Uh, best New Year's. It must have been at high school. I can't even remember any good high school ones, but high school days were the best when you were being a little bit naughty. When you're fourteen and potty mouth. Uh, probably more. <laughs> yeah, probably more. 15, 16, 17. What are the words in a potty mouth? What, what's he saying? There's a lot of Fs. Oh, he's, oh he's, the Fs coming out, is it? Oh, every second word is the F word. Oh, jeez, it's ridiculous because they watch so much bloody YouTube where they can people can swear all over the place. We've got to sort out some controls. Although yesterday, uh, I cracked the. Uh, I've got a little money box. You know, when you go to races, you have got a little money box yep. for late entries and stuff. Mm-hmm. Went downstairs, grabbed both their phones, locked them in the money box. Oh. They were still there when I left this morning. <laughs> this was phones three, are This hard, was two eh? or three weeks ago, before we were on holiday. The, the phones are hard, aren't they? For non-parents, you might think, oh, it's not that hard. No, it's It tough. really is. It's really tough. God, it's so addictive. And, and I mean, let's be honest, it's, for all of us, oh, yeah, you know, man. like we all, have to, we all struggle with it. Yeah. You know, like it, it, like I, I really have to manage myself with my phone, mm. you know, and, and a lot of it's about not having it around, mm. you know, removing it from times and just that habit of grabbing and just looking at nothing. Yeah. You know, and we're, we're a bit more advanced in our brain, you know. Yeah, kids. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyhow, so... I don't even know, but it was going to be some years. Uh, yeah, it would have been a school time one, just going out and boozing up and uh, having a good time doing things you weren't supposed to be doing. My best New Year's ever was when, when, when uh, who, who, maybe when I broke up with Raylene or Annalise. No, when I broke up with Annalise. And uh, me and my mates went to me, Mark, my flatmate Bianca and Tim. And Tim was one of my mates, a guy I knew from school, but I was a good friend with my mate Mark. And Bianca was my flatmate, and we've got good friends. And we went in camping in Tohununua, and we thought Tohununua was the place to go. Turns yeah. out it's not anymore, it's more of a family campground. Yeah. So, so we kind of went there, but we had a great time. And then on the night of New Year's, we go to Little Kaiteri. Mm-hmm. And a friend we knew said, oh, we're having a party at this house, come along. And so we kind of, kind of they weren't great friends, they were just people we kind of knew. So we, mm-hmm. we drove from Tohununua to Little Kaiteri. Well, it turns out this is like one of the mansions. Mm. Like, so tell us a little, little criteria. It used to be nothing. When we were kids, it was just a dirt road down to the beach. And now there's just, yeah, they're, it depends what Yeah, mansions, they're, not, they're not like Hollywood mansions. But yeah, they're, but, but they're, they're just big new houses. And it's money people have got them, haven't they? Mm. You know, so we turn up this, and this, this old guy who's like 78, mm-hmm. you know, but loved a party. He, he put on his party for us. It wasn't huge. There's probably only about 30, 40 people there. Mm. But he just, he was an entertainer. So mm. we turned up his house. Just everything was laid on. Nice. And and like, and we just had an 
awesome night. It was so much fun. You would have been loving it because everything was free probably. Yeah, well, everything was free and he even had Coke Zero. <laughs> so it was a win-win for me. And um, But I'll tell you what, it was just one of those nights you're going in with low expectations, you turn up mm. and we partied the night away and it was a great bunch of people, you know, in a beautiful location. So it probably goes down. Unexpected New Year's that delivered. So nice. There you go. Anyway, Tim, I hope you have a good New Year's. We'll be back next week with the last kind of back before we go back to the studio episode here. So let's wrap it up, John. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.